Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. We are a part of a constellation of podcasts powered by Christianity Today. Um, in season past, we've had segments such as some of our favorite headlines from the Babylon Bee, sharing about stuff in myself and JR's office. Uh, and we've added a newer segment uh, over this past season, the season before, season four, simply called Quotes and Questions, where we share some quotes and questions that have stuck with us uh, and the ones that we want to share with you all. So, JR, uh, super good to be with you today. And um, great to be with you too, man. Looking forward to hearing what quote has been rolling around in that head of yours. Yeah, man. I, I love our segments, by the way. I Me mean, too. Uh, I'd love that we do all three of those, but yeah, quotes and questions. Well, you and I are always talking about quotes and questions. So here's the quote that stuck with me recently. Erwin McManus, always good for a one-liner, always good to challenge us. He says, if your church is full of members, you get an occasional missionary. But if your church is full of missionaries, the rest is just geography. Dang. I love that. That's just so Erwin that's McManus. So, so good. <laughs> oh, that's a good tattoo right there. You know, like, <laughs> let's put that on our body. Oh, I love that. How about you, man? What's a, what's a quote that stuck out to you recently? Yeah. So uh, this is, this is uh, for, for those of you uh, that, that have ever um, read American literature, uh, you, you may have come across the name Norman McLean. Uh, this is from his short story called A River Runs Through It. And uh, I just, the words do something to my soul. I don't know what else to say it. It's like poetry and imagery just come alive. And so eventually all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops and under those rocks are the words. And some of the words are theirs. I am haunted. I water. Um, mm. it, yeah, again, this quote just for some, it's like every time I read it, I just, I, it puts me in a space where I'm sitting in water and just does something helpful to my soul. So yeah, Jerry, what, what are some questions or a question that you've been looking at recently sitting with? Well, as you talk about, you know, sharing what you've been reading and uh, good American literature, one of the questions that, you know, we always talk about leaders or readers and so I'm just curious, and many pastors I know are readers, not all, but many. And so I'm just curious. I love asking leaders, what influences your decision about what to read next? Oh, that's good. Right? Because sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, well, that looked interesting, or I'll read anything by that author, or I have three people I ask, and whatever they recommend, I just read, or is it in my interest area, or anything published by this publishing house. But I just, you know, there's too many books and too little time. So for me, I'm always wondering, what is our metric? What is our filter? What influences your decision about what to read? So I'd be curious from other pastors. So yeah. feel free to let us know. We'd love to hear your metric. Maybe at yeah. some point in the future, you and I can share our metric uh, on how we choose that, Doug. But what influences your decision about what to read next? Oh, that's so good. That's so, so good. How about you? What's a question you're thinking about recently? Yeah, so I've, I've really been thinking about... Um, agency and the importance of having choice. Uh, if, if you feel like, um, just in conversation over the last few months with my spiritual director, we've been talking a lot about how, um, you know, the, the opposite of feeling like you're, you're really frustrated and everything's crazy and everything's out of control is, is remembering that, that you actually have a choice. And so the question I've been sitting with is really simple. Uh, what one thing can I do to be healthy today? Um, and for me, I'm just, and I, I would love to hear from other pastors too. Like what, what is that one thing? And, and even in my sense is the the simpler or the one that you're like, oh, that's dumb, the better, 
because my my sense is that it's not the big stuff like oh well i sit for 17 hours and blah 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 or i do this or but i think it's the simple thing like i brush my teeth um i i mean i i don't know what those are so i would love to just compile a list of what are the simple healthy things that pastors do stay Mm -hmm. healthy today uh not tomorrow Mm -hmm. for today that's great. Well, that reminds me of another question that I have, which I think kind of links on to the back of your wagon uh, on that question. And if you asked Jesus to help you grow, what would you want him to ask you to do? Or what would you ask him to do? If you ask Jesus to help you grow, what would you ask him to do? Um, and I think, yeah, health and growth, obviously, that's something that we always find to be so important here in terms of the ethos and the values of this particular podcast. Um, but I think we we have a vision uh, where we want to grow. Um, but I also think there are times we need to ask Jesus, where do you want me to grow? Ooh. And I think there are times where we acknowledge to Jesus, this is where I'd like to grow. Jesus, will, will you help me? Um, is it in the area of patience or is it in the area of hope or is it in deep in trust or obedience or cultivating joy or whatever it may be? And so this is a, the, that's, a, that's a question that's been really sticking with me, which is very, I think, relatable to, to the one you just asked too. What's the one thing I can do to be healthy today? That's a great question. Man, I love our questions and quotes time. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah. And pastors and leaders, listeners, if, if you have any questions or quotes you want to share with us, we'd be glad to share those, um, the ones that stick out to us. So feel free to pass those along to us. Contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Bethany Heiser is the director of Soul Care for Northwest Family Life, which is a network of therapists trained to work with survivors of domestic violence, sexual trauma. As a bilingual social worker, chaplain, pastoral advocate, Heiser has worked in a variety of ministry and social service settings with people affected by addiction, sexual exploitation, incarceration, and immigration. We know that this conversation with Bethany is going to be one that will mark us for many weeks and years to come. Hey, Bethany, we're so glad to have you on the Monday Morning Pastor today. So thanks for coming and joining with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. So um, some of you, uh, for some of our listeners, is the first time ever having a chance to meet you. I know JR and I have had a chance to, to, to read some of your work, and we're really grateful to have you on. Um, but you have this really amazing title that I just wanted to throw out there. It's the Director of Soul Care uh, for Northwest Family Life. And Uh, that just resonated so deeply with me uh, as a pastor and thinking through what it means to be a healthy pastor, especially in, in, in the midst of a, of a, of another year, 2021. Um, you, you've done some really significant work personally and also with others in really hard spaces. Tell us a bit, like, how did you find this place of ministry? Yeah. So there's been various different threads as I'm sure there are for anyone that have contributed to my journey. Um, I started, you know, I studied peace studies and religion in college, which was basically the antithesis of peace, more conflict studies. Um, And so I learned about all the problems of the world and also talked about kind of the the call of Jesus to go and love those on the margins. Um, And I I remember taking a class on ethics and it said, you know, talking about the theory of doing good. And I was like, I'm done talking about the theory. I just want to go out there and do things. So, um, so I graduated from college and just kind of, I did, a, I've done a lot of different <laughs> jobs um, working with people um, in various capacities at a domestic violence shelter, at a homeless shelter, um, 
as well as with WIC, Women, Infant, Children programs, and then a, primarily a ministry that I was involved in for eight years that works with people affected by incarceration and immigration. Um, and so that, that was, that's been the um, kind of the core of a lot of my experiences and my own journey. Tell us a little bit about so the, your new book, From Burned Out to Beloved, which, by the way, Doug and I, we saw the cover. It's a beautiful cover, but also the the uh, the title itself. We just feel like, man, that's where so many of our listeners are. That's where so many pastors are. And it's not just pastors. We know it's everybody, and we know we have listeners all over the spectrum uh, who join us. But people who are in positions where um, they are expected to care for the souls of others, mm-hmm. uh, are feeling burned out, right? The tank is just mm-hmm. empty right now in this season. And so tell us the genesis of this book. How did this come about? Why did you write it? What are you, what are you hoping for those who are feeling burned out? Uh, how, how do you want them to benefit from this book? Yeah, I, I mean, so I, in all that work that I was just mentioning, um, kind of combination of various different projects and working with people, hearing traumatic stories, I experienced my own burnout. Um, and I had been in a place of thinking that I was doing fine. I wasn't affected by the work. Um, and then whenever I was exposed to conversations about self-care, I, it didn't resonate. I either walked away thinking I needed to do more. Um, I wasn't doing enough. You know, I don't know if you've seen those kind of pie charts where you divide your life up into physical, social, emotional. Um, and I'd look at my empty pie charts and just think, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this well. But then I, I wasn't equipped to to move forward. You know, I didn't, I didn't, um, address any changes, internal changes. And so, um, really through some of relapse prevention work that we were doing with people in recovery, as well as a class on secondary trauma, I started realizing how much I was in being, being impacted and also the importance of doing my own work. Um, and then I didn't, so I started my own process of healing and recovery and I didn't see, um, anything that that was intertwining those different fields in a way that felt meaningful and that was rooted in our belovedness. And so that became a core, obviously the core of the title, core of the book is that we are already loved ones. We are already beloved regardless of what we do or don't do. And we need to be rooted in our beloved, in our belovedness as we also are loving and caring for others because we are worth it. And because those we work with are worth it. And so it's a reframing for me of self-care that wasn't just something extracurricular or something, you know, selfish to do, but actually I need to take care of myself so that I also can love people well and because I deserve it. So that's kind of what prompted my journey, um, was part of my journey and also, um, the reason for the book. Mm. You talked about belovedness. I think there are many pastors listening to this. They're saying like, yeah, I know that I, in my head, theologically, I know that I preach on that. I know the Greek word for that, right? Like, so, but why is that so difficult for people to embrace? And of all people you think it'd be easy, it would be pastors to get, why is this so difficult? You think for those even, even spiritual caretakers of souls, why is this so difficult for us to grasp our belovedness? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I mean, one thing is people, I wonder is, you know, people who are drawn into helping professions or pastoral work are doing so because they feel called by God, because they love people, they want to make a difference. Um, and they want to make, you know, they want to impact people's lives. Um, and because I, the, they believe that God loves them and want to share that, that love for other people. 
And yet we can kind of get twisted in our motivations of thinking that my identity becomes what I do. And it, it's then swayed by how people receive me, right? You know, the, your, your, your title of your podcast, Monday morning, why is Monday the hardest day for pastors? Um, because it's after a day of being in front of people and in church and ministering to people. And, and so um, it's, we need to know in a deeper place that we are beloved uh, in order to do our work and to take care of ourselves, as I just said. But I think the the challenge of, of staying in that place when we, we care about the work we're doing, <laughs> we care about the people that we're, um, and it's hard to see people suffering. It's hard to see people in difficult places and injustice. I mean, this year was obviously, um, or 2020 was kind of in our face about the various different levels of injustice and poverty and oppression, um, and health challenges. Right. And so, um, I think to the, the sense that there's always more to do, um, and that I need to just keep going and going and going, then it's really hard to slow down and to say, I'm beloved no matter what, no matter if I don't do anything to help other people. I think, I think that's really, that's, First of all, thank you for saying that. I think you've just named a lot of things that a lot of our listeners have have either thought or and, and maybe not been able to verbalize or have been able to verbalize a bit. Um, but I think what's so fascinating about the way in which you are thinking through um, belovedness and, and living into that really comes down to, I think, just the question that I'm kind of wrestling with is like, what do you do with the pastor who who is sort of on that brink where, where they're wondering, like, am I burnt out? How, how do people begin to recognize that? What does that look like? And, and I know in your story, I love the metaphor that you use in terms of altitude sickness. So if you want to unpack that a little bit more, but just like, how does one know that they're, 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 get, they're, they're approaching burnout? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, that's, um, the metaphor that you mentioned altitude sickness, I, um, is one that I learned about when I was actually hiking in Nepal. Um, and there's all these signs everywhere. And they talk about, about that if you're experiencing the symptoms of altitude sickness, that you need to go down, you need to descend. Um, and they also really warn people saying, if you're physically fit, you're more susceptible to burnout. It's actually the same in the Grand Canyon in a different way. People go down, hike down the Grand Canyon and think they're fine. And then to go back up, um, is much harder. And so it's kind of a, the reverse. And I, so I think those who think that they're fine, press on and disregard what their body's telling them as they're climbing a mountain, um, as well as in the work of hard work of ministry and of helping professions. And so you press on thinking, I'm fine. I can handle this. I'm tough. And there's so many societal narratives that contribute to that. You're busy and I'm tired. You're, oh, you're staying up late. You're, you know, all the things that we encourage, we kind of encourage each other in. Um, and so to, to say, ah, I'm, I'm not doing well to recognize that, to slow down. And so I think my, your question of what would I, um, did you say, how can someone notice that they are burning out? Um, I mean, for me, it was really helpful to learn about secondary trauma and, um, to the signs of trauma and to connect those dots of, oh, the guilt I feel that's one of them. Um, the fear, the hypervigilance, you know, is your heart racing? Can you, are you having trouble sleeping? Uh, are you, can you, do you have a hard time slowing down? Even that, <laughs> um, is it, are we running from something? I think 
the very busyness that we live out of and live into keeps us from thinking critically and from reflecting on what is motivating our behavior. And so um, we we can't keep going at the pace that we're going at. <laughs> um, and so I think those just recognizing that pace um, that am I, what is my, you know, and sometimes we need other people to speak that into our lives. Um, but I think recognizing what is driving me and, um, and really I had to give myself an emergency week off. <laughs> so hopefully the whole idea of descending before you have to descend is to take care of yourself before your body just, you know, says I can't keep going. Yeah. I, I think, first of all, thank you for that. I feel like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear more about that emergency week off, but before we get into that, what do you mean by secondary trauma? Some of our listeners may have heard that term before, or we may have read it somewhere, um, but yeah, t tell us a little bit more about that word secondary trauma. Yeah, so I mean, with primary trauma would be the trauma that it, um, someone experiences directly to themselves. So an assault, um, child abuse, and then secondary trauma would be hearing a story about that. So I didn't witness it and I didn't, um, it didn't happen to me, but I'm hearing about it. And so working at a domestic violence shelter, for example, I heard lots of stories of women who have been severely abused. Um, in pastoral work, you hear lots of stories of people's challenging realities, right? Um, and so just the weight of hearing those stories actually has an impact on us that people say is similar to PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so I think connecting that and saying, oh, there's it has a physiological impact on my body um, that's similar in terms of that hypervigilance I was talking about, um, the diminished creativity, that literally trauma impacts our ability to think creatively and to think in complexity. So we, we are more black and white, this or that. Um, I think it also, um, that chronic exhaustion and just not be able to function anymore. Um, there's also an interesting one that this is from Trauma, Trauma Stewardship, which is an excellent book um, by Laura Vanden Lipsky. And I, I took her class and that was kind of what opened my eyes to secondary trauma. Um, is the inability to listen or deliberate avoidance. And I, so I think sometimes we can, in someone who's burning out, this is another sign of burnout, is are you quickly saying yes all the time or are you quickly saying no? Um, so saying no can also be a sign of just no, 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 I can't do anything. Um, and of being there, but not being present. So like when I was at the domestic violence shelter and I was in my little office and kind of being present, be, just being like, no one come talk to me. I can't handle anything right now. You know, just so being present, but not present. Um, or the yes, saying yes to everything. So I was also doing that of, um, it was too hard to think critically. So someone saying, Hey, can you come up? Can you show up my house and help me with this paperwork? Sure. I'll do that. Can I give me a ride? My car just broke down. Yes. You know, just, um, so just being aware of, are you not thinking critically? <laughs> are uh, you just going at that pace? And trauma is literally impacting your ability to think critically. So like, I can just imagine the pastor right now saying, yeah, that was today. Like that's Tuesday or, you know, I'm, I, yes, you know, you've just listed off all these things and I'm saying, check, 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 check. Like, what would you have to say to the pastor who's hearing this and saying, oh my gosh, like, I, I, like I, I'm, this is like happening. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think one is, um, it's not your fault. <laughs> You're not weak for burning out. So often in burnout, you can, we can turn it on ourselves and say, oh man, I, 
I'm just not strong enough or I just can't handle this. And that's another lie. That's another, um, in some ways, symptom of, of secondary trauma. And also that you're not weak for needing help or being in need yourself. Again, for pastors, it's hard to say I need or I'm not okay. Um, you know, people say that doctors make don't make good patients. You know, do pastors make good <laughs> pastoral recipients? So like, do they are they good at asking for help and saying, "Hey, can you pray for me? I'm not doing well." Um, it feels more powerful to be in the place of giving than it does receiving. And when we're used to that, it's really hard to receive. Um, and so, just to to for those who are burning out, to say you're not alone, and it's okay to ask for help that you need help and that there's, you know, Jesus asked for help, right? <laughs> he asked that woman at the, at the well, hey, can you get me water? He even waited there while his disciples went in to get food. Um, what leader does that says, hey, everyone go get me food. I'm going to sit and um, sit by the well and just rest. You know, so Jesus models to us in really beautiful ways um, that he went up to the mountains to pray, you know, that some of these things that we talk about, and yet do we give ourselves permission to do them and to say, I'm weak. I'm not, we're all weak. I mean, that's the subtitle of my book is soul care for wounded healers and trying to emphasize that we have our wounds and we're human. We have needs. And so I think actually, if we can lead from a place of our, of our vulnerability and our woundedness, then we are more powerful um, in our work and healing. You mentioned Bethany about uh, reframing, and I want—I would love for you to dig into that a little bit deeper here. You know, we throw around terms self-care, soul care. I mean, Brene Brown and sort of like popularized that whole idea of you know soul care and self-care. In in chapter one, you said soul care doesn't just mean spiritual care; it means tending to our inner psycho-spiritual life, which affects our whole self. I'm wondering if you could just unpack that a little bit more and why reframing of those care terms is so important. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a shame in some ways that self-care I feel like has been co-opted by a purchasing industry <laughs> is that you need to buy something or you need to get a massage and something you do for yourself. Um, and yet really the word self should mean the whole self. And yet it's really become something that is just, you do something for yourself. And, um, so I started using the f more soul care in that, um, it's our whole self, you know, it's, it's the Hebrew, Hebraic view of that, of body, soul, mind, like we are all interconnected. And that, um, when I go for a run, um, it's one of the ways that I kind of calm down and, um, stay centered and that it, it doesn't just benefit me physically. Right. I mean, it, for me, it benefits me emotionally, spiritually, it's a way I can connect with God. And also relationally, I come back to my family more grounded and better able to connect. And so I, I think it's a, it's an illusion if we try to separate those activities. Um, and sometimes again, for soul care, it's, we need to, to do those inner, that inner work of what am I motivated by? Um, and what is preventing me from taking care of myself in order to grow in our own healing and recovery? Um, and as someone who's worked with people in recovery from substances, that's 
definitely impacted me and seeing their own journey, people's walking with people in their journey towards recovery um, and the hard work that it is and that we have to do our explore what's going on in us in order to change. And so we can't just say, Hey, just, just sleep better or just exercise. So I think that's, that was my shift away from self-care to soul care. Mm -hmm. You know, um, one of the things I really appreciated Bethany was in chapter seven, you talk about false beliefs. One of the things that we ask almost every one of our guests uh, on this, whether they're a pastor or an artist or an academic or an author is what lies are you tempted to believe in ministry or leadership? So as you write about false beliefs, you know, I think one of them, a big one is you mentioned the first line of the book. It's a luxury. I thought it was trivial. Like I don't deserve it or it's not a high priority seems to be a big belief or a big lie that we're tempted to believe. I'm curious for you personally. What lies are you tempted to believe? What do you have to fight off to be reminded of the truth regarding soul care? Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned it in some ways already that my worth is in what I do. You know, I, I've talked about that for other people, but that's really one that I've had to work through is, and I have to continue to work through even as I launch this book. And, you know, I have to say that I'm beloved no matter what, if people don't think it's, um, if it doesn't resonate with people or if it does, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. God loves, um, God loves me for who I am, not for what I do. Um, and then again, just working with people, um, on the, on the margins and facing a lot of challenges for a little while. I, I worked, um, as the director of a family support center. And so people would come in with all sorts of practical needs. Um, and it really felt like it was up to me. You know, I, I had a lot of decisions. And so that lie of it's all up to me. Um, is another one. And it's been a tricky one for me because sometimes literally if I forgot to drop off somebody's, you know, rent check, then they were going to be evicted. And so, um, or if I forgot to you know, do something practical, then it was going to affect people really dramatically. And yet um, to shift my perspective and still say that God moves outside of me and isn't completely dependent on me, um, has been a truth that I've needed to come back to all the time. <laughs> That's really good. I, one of the things that I also really appreciated about your, your book are your, your appendices. Um, but especially you, you have this really beautiful practice about, uh, the trust bowl. Can you speak a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's over on my shelf, but I have, someone <laughs> gave me a little bowl and at first it just had little pebbles in it. Um, and it, you know, said this little pithy statement. And at first I was like, oh, I'm not going to really use that. And then I realized, oh, this is actually really a helpful practice of if I put it by my door as I come in from being at home, and if I can take up those stones or pieces of paper. For, so after a while, I ended up just writing people's names on pieces of paper and putting that in the bowl and people that I was really burdened by. Um, and so picking up those names, holding them, and then praying through them and, and physically putting them down. And as I do so, being mindful of surrendering them to Jesus and saying, okay, God, they're yours. You're for them. Um, I can't uh, do everything for them. And you're with them even when I'm not with them. And you are you can move beyond my capacity, um, which is obvious. And yet we live as though, <laughs> or I lived as though it was up to me. Um, and so just that practice was a grounding physical thing. I know other people, when I've done workshops, people have talked about having, um, washing their hands or just different practices of, of ways of saying, okay, God, I give this over to you. I'm cleansing myself. 
Yeah, I, I think those are real. I, I love how practical that that just that small thing is, but yet how deeply profound that is. Which you know, you mentioned something about how you know, Lord, these people are your people. Like it's you know, this is like you love more than I do. The responsibility, like they're yours, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm called to be part of that. And you mentioned you talked a bit about codependency uh, within pastors and. You know, most pastors are just like right now, like I'm not codependent, but my, my guess is that that uh, we, you know, and we also sail on the denial. So it's all good. So can you speak a little bit about how just what codependency does to the soul of a pastor? Yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of a, I don't know, maybe a trigger word or something that people just it's <laughs> we don't want to think that we're codependent. I know I didn't. Um, I. And yet when I was, again, was doing this Genesis process, it's called a relapse prevention program. And you do your own work as you're being trained in it. Um, and I realized in doing it, how codependent I was with the people that I was working with. Um, you know, as someone who's worked in a domestic violence shelter, we often think about it in terms of intimate partner relationships and don't think about it in terms of our work. Um, and yet there's, ob- there's a lot of overlap. And so I think the, um, when it's when there's an inability to stop or to let go, um, to be okay when others are not okay, which is a really hard one. <laughs> um, and what does that mean? You know, I think I still wrestle with that because I I'm empathetically impacted and I care, and yet um, can I be okay in a different way? Can I um, tend to myself and give myself permission to enjoy a a weekend um, when I know that other people are not able to? You know, so there's a practical plane out of that. Um, and then I think also the codependency of going above and beyond when people are not ready for it. And that's a huge one is that when we, um, when it's hard for us to see somebody struggling, so we want to fix them. (laughs) We want to change them. So that's the real key of it. It's not just feeling sad for somebody, but it's when we're motivated to help somebody because of our own discomfort. Um, and that's, you know, is, is, we can hear that and say, Oh, that's, that's not good. Um, and yet it's so for many of us who care, it's easy to get caught up in that. Um, and to go above and beyond for people when they're not ready for it. So what does it look like for you personally? What do you need to make sure your soul is in a healthy place? What are your life giving life restoring practices? Just be as uber uh, practical as you can be, and even specific as as vulnerable as you want, you feel comfortable being. I know you've got small children, and so even more so in this season. So you're caring for others, quite literally for your own family as well. That's that's draining stuff. How do you personally? What rhythms, habits, spiritual practices, whatever phrase you want to use, that keeps you in a restorative place yourself? Yeah, I mean it's a good question. I feel like those who know me well know that I have to continually practice what I preach. <laughs> I mean, my husband's often continually inviting me to live into what I've, he's like, I have a good book for you to read. It's called from burned out to beloved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just cause I wrote this and I care a lot about it. I'm still on the journey. And, um, so with, yes, I have two kids, um, a three year old and a one year old. And so I think, um, having, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes of quiet for me is really grounding and really essential. Um, and I try to do that in the middle of the day. Um, and centering prayer has been a really helpful practice for me. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, by 
yeah, the contemplative outreach and Thomas Keating's work. And because I'm such a doer and I want to impact and I want to be successful on it, um, feel productive, it's a really helpful stopping and just saying that you're not going to be productive for 10 minutes in the way that you might think you are productivity looks, but you're going to stop and be still and know that God is God. Um, and, and I need that. And I think when I can do that, when I, when there's so much research now about breathing and, you know, the benefit of taking deep breaths. Um, and so I think when we can slow down and create space for that, or at least I should say, that's one of my very core practices right now is needing to slow down and create space. And even if it feels like I get up afterwards and I feel like, ah, whatever, it's still, it, it still is grounding for me, you know, and I think it still has a benefit on my life and I'm able to approach my kids and whatever else is on my, in my day from a different place. When I've had that time, there's a sense of being held by God and of of really practicing that I'm beloved with, even though I'm not doing anything, um, that God cares for me. You know, I love, there's a phrase or quote by St. Anthony de Mello, <clears throat> behold the beholder beholding you and smiling. And I, I love that, that we get to, that's about delight and it's about being in God's presence, um, without doing anything. And so whatever helps foster that for me is really nourishing with sometimes that it's also going for a walk or for a run or, listening to music. Um, I think also connecting with people, um, who know me, my husband, as well as others, I think no hearing, um, and knowing that I'm not alone and connecting with others is in, especially in this COVID challenging season is also really important. Yeah, that's, it's really good. I love how practical, simple those, those practices are. Um, just one thing that I'm, I'm curious about, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, as pastors and leaders and and people who are involved in helping ministries experience burnout, what what would be some practical advice you could give for their spouses or you know their husbands, their wives, the people that are journeying with them? Because my my sense is that's a very scary time for them as well. Hmm. I mean, I guess it depends on the the relationship you have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think encouraging slowing down, as I've been, I feel like that's been a refrain, but. Um, to taking time off and to really putting aside, you know, sometimes people are talking now about technology Sabbaths on weekends or, you know, how addicted are you to your devices? And are you waking up? I know I used to like, and sometimes still I'm tempted to wake up and what, Oh, do I have any emails? You know, what are you checking your phone right away? Um, and so just having practices that create some natural barriers, you know, we, as Christians, we talk about Sabbath and it's one of the things that God commanded. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's hard for us to really live into that and it becomes something more to do. And so what is, I think as someone who's, who knows somebody else who's struggling, um, encouraging towards rest and towards reflection, towards getting help, you know, to not feel like you have to be the one to fully help that other person either, because there can be codependency that comes out of that. Um, but spiritual direction, having mentorship, having therapy, um, you know, I, yeah, I started meeting with a spiritual director and it's been super helpful in my journey to have my own place where I'm going to receive and someone who's listening to me. And that can be uncomfortable as we talked about for people who are used to being the ones who are, um, 
who are listening, but to instead be listened to. Can you say the behold the beholder quote again? Because I think that's something that not only Doug and I need to hear, but I think our listeners need to hear again. Yeah, it's by Anthony DeMello. Behold the beholder beholding you and smiling. Mm, mm, mm. When is that easiest for you to believe? Mm, That's a good question. I mean, I think in moments of stillness, um, to when I'm when I've slowed down and I have capacity to receive it. I think I also in my in my stage of life right now seek to believe it and to have that as a refrain, even when I'm you know walking with my girls outside, <laughs> um, pushing them in the stroller or something, and behold the beholder beholding you and smiling. Um, you know, I'm not sure when it's easiest for me to to believe it. I know when I need it all, all the time. Um, so I think when it's easiest to believe it is um, when I'm capable of hearing it too. And so I think when I'm, when I'm busy or when I'm anxious, it's harder to hear. It. It's harder to know that I'm beloved um, and to let myself be beheld <laughs> and delighted in. That's a good word, Bethany. So Bethany, as we as we wrap up this conversation, first of all, we just want to thank you so much for uh, just for writing this book and for for delivering this into the world, especially for pastors. And uh, I feel like it's so timely for people in caring ministries, helping ministries in this season. But I would just love for you, you just have a few minutes just to encourage, how would you want to encourage pastors and everyone who's listening today? Yeah, I mean, the first one, you are valuable. Again, not for what you do, but for who you are. Um, we can gain a sense of thinking that we're valuable because of pastoring, you know, and just to know that you're not loved just for what you do. And then also that invitation to connect to the source. In the book, I talk about Jesus, the vine and the branches. And, you know, I don't think Jesus was condemning <laughs> people or condemning us when he said, you have to be connected to the vine. It's just the reality the, the branches are nothing without the vine. Um, they wither. And I talk about my own experience of that in the book. And, um, and so just, you need the source, you need the source and it's not weak to need the source. Um, also, I encourage people to remember why you are doing what you're doing that what we were talking about in terms of reflecting on your own motivations with as much grace and truth as you can muster. Um, what are you motivated by? And to be honest with yourself about that um, and to create space to reflect on that. Um, and then again, just that to not, it's not weak to need help to be pastor, pastored yourself in order to give, you also need to receive. Um, also knowing that it's not all up to you. I think for me, it was really helpful. God is the healer. Um, I'm not the healer, the ultimate healer that we get to participate in healing work. And yet God is the healer. And so for those who are listening, just to remember that you are participating in kingdom work. Um, we're never invited to build the kingdom. Kingdom, We're called to seek the kingdom. And so um, God wants to be friends with us as we seek the kingdom together. Good word. Thank you so much, Bethany. It's really good having you with us today. Thank you for having me. Bless yeah. you all. Jared, that was um, one of those conversations that I, I just feel like will be a very deep think for many of us who had an opportunity just to sit and listen to what Bethany had to share. 
Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed her willingness to, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm a practical person. I mean, I, I, I'm not smart enough to just live in the abstract, nor am I patient enough. And so it's like, okay, so how do we do this? And I really appreciated her practices and the appendix, uh, the appendices you mentioned really good. And the trust bowl, what a great idea of just physically, viscerally feeling that release of a bowl. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciated that. Even her practices of centering prayer. She talked about running. She talked about breathing, just deep breathing. And I love that she said, I just need five or 10 minutes. Like, I think for some of us, we think I need to go away for three days on some mountaintop in the Alps, you know, but she said, ah, it's five or 10 minutes. Like, is this a good soul? That's such a great reminder. Mm. Frequency and quality more than the quantity. I think is important when it comes to the soul care on that. Yeah. It, it's almost like you hear that phrase death by a thousand cuts. It's yeah. like, I think it's like life by a thousand small things, right? Ooh, that's it's, it. it's just this, this way of living into the life that God has for us by picking up these, these small practices that really change us from the inside out. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like we've, we've used Eugene's beautiful title a million times, but that long obedience in the same direction uh, that is really sustained by these very simple practices. Because I, I, I think I fall into that. I have I, I have fallen into that too. I was just talking with my spiritual director a few days ago and, and we were reflecting on, um, I usually do like a day away where I just pray and just have time to be with the Lord without technology and stuff. And I was telling him how like years ago, I'd bring like six books and my Bible and a journal and all this stuff. I almost felt like the pilgrim from Pilgrim's Progress when he's starting with that huge backpack on. <laughs> um, <laughs> And now it's like, I might forget to bring my shoes uh, or like the right shoes. So it's just interesting how, um, what is sustaining is not feeling like I have to be busy with all these things, but just being present in that moment. And I, I really appreciate just the, yeah, that, that permission to say it's not, it doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing, but it could just be five minutes of breathing silently and just being present to that. Uh, like, so, I mean, this, this is like, this is hitting all my buttons. I get super excited about this stuff because I feel like um, this is where I really come alive. And these are the these are the conversations that I think are helpful. And some of it too is I know I'm I'm tired and burned. I I'm not burned out, but I'm tired and crispy around the edges right now. And it's just yeah. so good to have someone kind of just remind us of these very simple things. It's not a full on overhaul of your life. It's it's just some of these really simple practical things that just help correct, you know, correct the course and help move us in the right direction. Yeah. It's helping you in real time. Mm -hmm. I know you're a big David Benner fan. And at the beginning of chapter six, Bethany quoted uh, David Benner, this wonderful line. I love it. He said, careful attention to one's inner life is an indispensable prerequisite of caring for the souls of others. Mm. Again, (laughs) careful attention to one's inner life is an indispensable prerequisite of caring for the souls of others. I love that phrase, indispensable prerequisite. Yeah, uh, that is that is so important. And I love that other quote that she mentioned uh, from Anthony DeMello. Behold the beholder beholding you and smiling. Smile. I think I think it, many pastors, Doug, would say that we can imagine we can behold the beholder beholding you. But that last line and smiling. Yeah. Yeah. Or or we can say we can behold the beholder beholding them and smiling. Yeah, but that yeah, but never, not with us. Not with yeah, us. That, that yeah. doesn't that doesn't come our direction. Yeah, boy, that's good. And I'm so glad you brought up altitude sickness. That metaphor Ugh. stuck out to me when I read the book. Um, but that idea, and there's in the book is a picture, and uh, the picture of the uh, of her when she's in Nepal uh, hiking Kilimanjaro. Um, 
it, it, and I'm trying to find it now, just flipping through it here uh, in the book. But uh, on the sign, it says, you know, like, oh, here it is, like acute mountain sickness. <laughs> and then uh, under it, it says, what to do? Descend, descend, descend. <laughs> Exclamation point after each descends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, I think that's so important. Like, what do we do when we're feeling burnout? Descend, descend, descend. And the irony of it, which gave me chills when I read it, me when too. she said, uh, you know, the more fit you are, the more you are actually susceptible to getting altitude sickness. Oh man, if that doesn't help us as pastors, I don't know what does. That might've been one of the most important things in the book and one of the most important things that she yeah. said on this. Yeah. Yeah. As they say in the South, that dog will hunt. Uh, that dog will hunt. That, that, that was such an important, yeah, it's, it's such an important concept for us to get. And I think even coming back to the Benner quote that you just read, if we don't take care of our souls, uh, no, no one else is going to do that for, right. for us. And we cannot, we cannot afford to be soulless pastors. Mm. Um, it's, there's, we, we cannot, we can't afford it. I can't afford it. I've lived that way. And, and I know I'm tempted to live that way because it's like, then I don't have to deal with all my own stuff, but that's not, that's not what the beautiful with God life looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of the resources we want to leave for you all, uh, our listeners, obviously Bethany's book, Bethany Dearborn Heiser's book from burned out to beloved soul care for wounded healers. And speaking of that, and she mentions and references Henry Nouwen throughout, uh, is Henry Nouwen's book, The Wounded Healer. Fantastic book, um, uh, a book that I've gone back to uh, quite heavily in the midst of this pandemic, and uh, highly recommend both of those resources. Uh, again, yeah. uh, From Burned Out to Beloved, uh, Bethany Dearborn Heiser, and also uh, The Wounded Healer by Henry Nouwen. So, yeah. Doug, what are some questions that we can leave with our listeners? Yeah. Uh, two questions come to mind. First one is this, where can you find five minutes in your week on a daily basis this week to just sit and breathe and be present with the Lord? And then the second one is a little bit more uh, ethereal, but I think one that is really important for us as pastors to continue to ask. And that's just the simple question of why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. But just to sit and have uh, maybe a half hour, maybe 20 minutes, maybe a full day to reflect on that question, maybe something that you just find a lot of life in and recalibration for the journey. Um, and so let me just leave you with the benediction. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, the burned out ones, may you be reminded today that you are beloved. That you're not loved because of what you do. You're not loved because of the letters before your name, Reverend or MDiv or Doctor, but you're loved because of your first name, the name that God has given you, and that is the beloved child of the Most High God. May you be reminded that you are image bearers and you are called to be people who bring the belovedness every place that you go. May you live out of that space in great boldness and confidence. And if you're hurting, may you not see that as a sign of weakness but a sign of a God who reaches out his hand to hold yours in your hardest moments. 